Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 783 with Philip Phillips. This type of cooking provides perfect balance. I have to balance sweet, spicy, savory, sour, and find a little hidden flavor profile to put in the back burner. They're like, I, I, I have this like map in front of me. And uh, man, my mind can follow a map. Like I can follow, I can hone in on that shit. So like Asian cooking really just, it became this thing that I was obsessed about. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Procter & Gamble Professional provides a wide range of cleaning and disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning and disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Not only does Procter & Gamble Professional make you cleaner, it also makes you more efficient. Dollar Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor. Dollar Professional, it's clean upgraded. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com. Slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. But before we get into it, just a quick reminder to please support the show. There's a few different ways you can do it. You can support our sponsors. When you support the sponsors, they come back and buy more ad space. It's that simple. You can use my links. Sometimes there's an affiliate link. I get a commission whenever there's a tool or service that's recommended. Uh, and you can spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable. If you're finding value in this podcast, and I know you are because you keep coming back, let other people know about it. It goes such a long way. Today, we're talking to Philip Phillips, the co-founder of Chicken and the Wolf in the Lone Wolf Bami in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Philip Phillips came on my radar by way of Mike Bausch. He was my first guest when I was out here, and he recommended I talk to Phillips, and I'm so happy I did. He's got a, a really great story. I love the story of just not really knowing what he wanted to do in life, well, knowing he wanted to be a rock star, but that doesn't always work out for people. And then from there, he had this dream of using his skills in the kitchen to open his own food truck. It was originally going to be a burger joint, and then he had this experience out west with Bami. And I love the story that we tell today because I think it, it kind of just reinforces one of the biggest lessons to do one thing really well and to own something in a market and do it 10 times better than anybody else or to be the only one doing it uh, in a market. And that came out in today's story. Uh, a really cool story, too, about the reality of reality TV. Um, I've never really been a fan, uh, I think, uh, of getting onto it. I mean, you can do great things for your career, but I think that people get into this industry wanting to be a star. And I think uh, Philip paints a really real picture of reality TV today. Uh, and then also just scaling and um, taking on mentors. Lots of great things came out of today's conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you on the show for the first time, chef and co-owner of Lone Wolf Bami and Chicken in the Wolf Restaurants, Philip Phillips. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Um, in the scheme of that we are all on a rock hurtling throughout a space into the <laughs> void, I am 100% unstoppable. Yes, man. And it's so weird when you think of it that way. It's so true, though. We're just specks of dust on a rock hurling through space. We're, you know, caught in the slipstream of some bore, you know, ball of liquid fire it's flying through a void, and we somehow got snagged in that. And now we call it life. I think that, and I haven't even asked you for your success quote or your mantra yet, but I feel like that is kind of like a a very inspirational of get out of your own head. You know what I mean? Like they're like, you're like the things that you think are so important or like that holds you up. Most of them just are not that important. Like it's okay. Just go. My crippling anxiety, anything that I go through, I really try to live my life based upon that sole idea that we're on a rock flying through outer space. We have no idea what this really is. This is, this is amazing. We're really hurtling into a void incredibly quickly and maybe just maybe my current struggles that i'm flipping out about maybe they don't matter as much as i'm making them (laughs) you know i try to remind myself of course i have horrible times where i look at myself and i reflect and think like man i am a piece of shit um you know but like i try to always remind myself you know we're the the uh, existence of a black hole is far more important than the existence of this pesto I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So was that your success yeah. quote or mantra that I was going to have share? Because I give you a uh, or, or no, it wasn't. A, it wasn't. Give I me actually, another one. So though. let's get that ball rolling. So that's what I try to live my life by. But I I don't want to you know implement my life into anybody, especially not people that like work within Lone Wolf and Chicken Wolf. So anytime we have a all staff meeting. Um, which I miss them so badly. Like I haven't had an all staff meeting in over a year now. Um, But is uh, a quote that I took in a handful of years ago that really resonated with me. And um, I'm probably going to get it wrong now that I'm actually repeating it to you. And if I remember right, it was a Thomas Keller quote. Um, But I also might be wrong on that. Um, But it was a customer will forgive bad food but a customer will never forget bad service. Mm. So, you know, treat like, take that in and understand like we can make mistakes. It's we're human. We're not a bunch of flippy robots turning burgers. You know, we're, we're humans. We have the ability to screw up food. It's food. Like, my God, there's so many things that can go wrong. So many things that can go wrong. Everything has to line up the universe, the, galaxies everything's got to be in formation to pull off this dish just perfect unfortunately we do that the majority of the time but there's always going to be times where we screw that up yeah but you know when it comes to treating people like human beings you know that there's really a no excuse margin there especially within our restaurants like and it's so hard right now with what's going on oh yeah there's like everybody's fuming about one thing or the other depending on the day there's chaos reign supreme right now so it's hard to navigate that so i think that you know i don't know how great of a job we've done during the pandemic for being like you know like hey we're all we're all one we but 
we it's what we always strive for you know at least what i always strive for is like man like anybody that walks through this door is is part of this group yeah man know? and uh I, this is a great way to get this thing started i don't know if you noticed when i took my glasses off i went to go throw it in my pocket and i feel like i have to bring this to the conversation because it's hilarious i was dying looking for this earlier today <laughs> i'm like where the hell did i put it? i was like i lost it i must have left it over perfect and it was in yeah. my front pocket the whole time i went i went to my car I had it on me the whole time. I checked every pocket, but that pocket. I'm, I'm just like, oh, I, like it, it was like in my mind, like my world's just, you know, suddenly <laughs> the universe and all the planets aligned in their orbit. <laughs> and <just> like, oh. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, so, where yeah. does it make sense to start telling your story? Like, w- like because I know that you were working. You came up in Tulsa, right? Working in yeah. the restaurants in Tulsa. So, yes. when did you know that this was going to be your path? Um, you know that's. Do me a favor and point that mic straight at you. Yes, like, sir. Like, see how I have like this pointed. Like, yeah. yeah. Gotcha, man. There you go. Perfect. Um, so when I knew that this was going to be my path, that's, that's kind of difficult. Um, you know, my first, not my first job, but my second job I ever had, actually technically third, um, I was 15, was, was in a restaurant in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And it was just a, you know, a greasy spoon joint. Um, but the lady that runs the restaurant, she still runs restaurants here in Tulsa. Um, she's, she was just a force to be reckoned with. And I got to like go in, uh, you know, 15 years old. And I remember when she hired me, she was like, I'm not supposed to be hiring you. You're not old enough. <laughs> you know? and, and within like five days, I was cooking and I was a waiter and I was a busboy and I was a dishwasher. You know, within like five days, I'm learning every single station in the place. Um, how so long I, were you there? Uh, that first job, it was a place called Silver Dollar, Silver Dollar Cafe in Sand Springs. A lady was named PJ that owned it. Um, uh, I, th- I think I was there. So I was there, and I'm pretty sure I was there until they closed down. Um, and I think that was 10 months, maybe a year. Okay. You know, I mean, I was 15 years old, yeah, so yeah. time goes feels so much longer. Back then, it, it could have been three months. And to me, it's like, I worked there for three years. <laughs> so you, you opened your first restaurant in 2012, right? Around that time? Or yeah. you started your food truck in 2012? You started the food truck in 2012. So yeah. get super aerial for me. Zoom up to 30,000 feet and kind of like, just like, without getting into detail, just kind of like, tell me like, what path did you take? Like, in like, no more than one sentence per, like, Jerk, like stop along the way um so you mean like just the path to deciding we're going to open the I'm truck about the experience where you worked like the where, like what like what did you like so did you go to culinary school so i did not go to culinary school so i um i have you know i i've been cooking my whole life i've been working in restaurants my whole life okay. um but i uh when i decided to start really cooking for, as my passion, I, I've, I've grown up as a musician. So I was a touring musician. And I okay. worked in restaurants all the time so I could afford to continue to couch surf and go on tour and not make enough money to pay rent and still have a job when I came home. And if I didn't have a job, who cares? I can go cook somewhere so else. So at what point did you um, take your focus off of being a musician to, to say, I want to pivot my attention to this restaurant thing? So uh, it, was, it was in 2011. Uh, my grandfather died. Okay. Um, and I was very close with him. Um, and we... Um, How old were you in 2011? In 2011, so I'm, I'm 38 years old. Now I'm going to be 39 here in like a week and a half. Um, so 10 years ago, 28 Yeah, so yeah, 28, 29 years old, something like that. Okay. Um, and it, so you're focused before this point in your life. You're working in other restaurants, but you're not really taking it seriously as a career, right? Right, right. So I was doing, I, I, I was incredibly inspired by, with cooking. It was like, I, so I, I obsess over things. Um, I, 
I'm obsessive compulsive. I've gone through a lot of different phases in my life. And, you know, I was in the midst of trying to be a professional musician. I was really trying to make that work. Um, but I wasn't making any money at all. I, I loved cooking. I was always like, I mean, I was, would always host dinner parties and shit like that. Like, you know, cooking for all of my friends. I was known as the one, the guy that could cook, mm-hmm. that cooked in restaurants. But, you know, it wasn't something that like, I was like die hard about like I wasn't like when I was at home I wasn't thinking food I was thinking music you know I was going to work and thinking food but I had like a, a talent for it you know and and uh, I just so basically I I got to go out and do one big big awesome tour with my band at the time and what was your band uh, so at at the time I was playing in a band called Unwed Sailor. Um, I was playing in a band. Uh, sorry, my of course I ruin everything with my alarms. But <laughs> Dude, my alarms right are you. you know I'm I'm smoking a chicken at my house right now for an ill family member oh. and and I have this wonderful bullshit device that's like it's basically like sous vide for smoking. It's, a, it's called a Traeger. I'm sure everybody's yeah, aware yeah. of it. But it's you know in my eyes this is like no no it's not a bullshit device. It's this is like sous viding with smoke. Okay, like I can control every facet of it. I love this thing. But I've got all these alarms set and it's so you're controlling the temperature. Of so, the- yeah, I'm controlling. So right now I'm cold smoking my chicken and i'm about to crank it up to 395 and, and start roasting the same <laughs> yeah. time. you are a true restaurateur that's yeah sure. you know um, multitasking but, yeah uh but so anyway so uh around that time uh, 2011 got really you know, like saddened by my grandpa passing and everything and my i was my wife and i uh we were not married yet but we just moved in with each other and decided like we we're like all in on this relationship and she was adamant that you know i have a path in my life that's gonna go somewhere thankfully she's you know she saw the the bigger purpose in me that is like you know uh Maybe not that she saw the bigger purpose. Maybe it's just that she wanted a life, you know, and if we're going to be married, she, w- she wants somebody that can do something about it. So we, anyways, we started spitballing all the shit and we, I was cooking at a, an Asian restaurant and I got handed uh, a slap in my ego when I approached my owner about the fact that I really wanted, I, I thought maybe this could be a path for me. Like, I think that I could do, I could run a restaurant. This is 2011? This 2000, yeah, 2000. Well, it was 2009 when I had this conversation with, with my restaurant owner and told her, you know, I was like, maybe this is the path that I want to do. I like, I think that I could do this. You know, I've spent so much time in kitchens. Like, I feel so confident in my cooking right now. Like, I really believe that I could do this. And she just looked at me and said, Philip, like, dude, there's no fucking way you're going to do this. She okay. Said, she said, Philip, it's going to cost $200,000 for you to open a restaurant. There's so just we, have reality. So what was she, did she, was she saying that you in your moment, your current situation are not in the position, but you yourself could do it, but you weren't set up financially. To do right. It. Right. She, I mean, she knew that I was just like this dude that's playing music, sleeping on couches and, you know, coming to work and cooking and like have an inflated ego about myself at the time. Cause I'm, you know, 20 something and and unstoppable in my mind you, oh, you know? sound like i did at 28 yeah, years old well, fortunately in, I, I until I, my early 30s driving across the country sleeping on couches dude, i hope i hope that everybody feels in, invincible in their 20s and i hope yeah. that everybody gets hit with reality in their 30s to be like oh maybe i can learn from that yeah for <laughs> sure so um, um so she kind of gave you a reality check that like if you're gonna do this like you need to what was her advice? I well, well, she didn't have advice for me. So at the time, it was just a big slap in my face. You know, for me, so it for me, she, for her, it was it was most likely she had the best intention in her heart was like, hey, have reality, okay, dude. Like you're you're you live paycheck to paycheck. How are you going to open a restaurant? Yeah. You know, so for her, it was probably that. But for me, it was this like defiant moment of defiance, and I took a stand and said like, dude. 
you can't tell me what I can accomplish. Like, how are you going to tell me what I can and can't do? And I know that a lot of people like have those moments, but that really was the moment for me to say like, uh, no, no, you're, you're not going to tell me that, uh, something that I want to achieve is undoable. Like, you know, and fuck you. Um, but I still love this woman. She's fucking amazing. She's wonderful. (laughs) She runs great restaurants. But it was that Um, like little bit of like nudge, a little bit of a jab in the rib that you're like, okay, push me over. And so I moved to Austin to do music for a little bit. I thought I was going to pursue music. And down there, I I lived right across from South Congress food truck court. Yes. And so I was like, so I got to go over to the food truck court every day for lunch or breakfast or whatever. And at the time, at the time, you know, the food truck scene was just starting to take off around this time. You know, this was, uh, you know, th- around that time, 2009, 2010, something like that, you know. And uh, I uh, got inspired by one food truck in particular there. And it was, they only had a food truck. They had nothing else. I it really was, hope I know who it, it is. You, of course you know who it is. I've heard that you interviewed Miss Torchy's Tacos. Yes. Um, and, it, dude, Torchy's Tacos absolutely changed me, like, to my core. I, like... It resonated so much with who I felt that I was at that time and, like, my opinions of what the food that I could afford to eat should be. So, like, you know, I couldn't afford to go to fine dining or anything back then, so I didn't really have perspective on what fine dining should be. I had perspective on what should a $12 meal be, mm-hmm. you know? And there were so many shitty $12 meals and uninspired people. It's just the same bullshit. Everybody's regurgitating the same crap. And then out of this, like, shining sea and ray of light came Torchy's Tacos food truck. And to me, it was like, oh, roasted poblano ranch sauce. And like, you know, it was like, whatever. Like, you know, it's little fucking things. Yeah. But back then, those little things really set apart yep. from what the standard base crowd was, was doing. Yep. And Torchy's really was like, and sure, like anybody that's living in Austin now is going to be like, Taco Deli's better than Torchy's. <laughs> you know, like, there's always going to be a better place. But back then, fuck that. Like, they were all this is about like 2011 Torchies. right now, right? So this is yep. after this woman said, hey, you know what? Right. And my time frame might be wrong. It might be too. 2009 something I just, I, my mind works chronologically and i feel like it's just a good way to like keep reference so For sure so she said you know um philip maybe yeah maybe lay off the 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 magic um puff whatever <laughs> yeah yeah sure <laughs> um and so you said so the intention of going to texas was to go get experience go get perspective what was the, the purpose of going out there were you looking for inspiration were you going to no to actually i went out there to try to continue music. music okay I, I went out there and i lived in a teepee um i lived in a 22 foot tall actual teepee oh, in the back of this hippie house called the radical dixie ranch and they <laughs> let us live in their backyard for like 50 bucks a month or something and we had a full-size teepee me and a teepee mate okay and we shared a teepee um like we actually had like it was a very comfortable living situation but i lived in a teepee and and played music and would hop across the street and go to torchy's tacos all the time (laughs) (laughs) so reflecting at torchy's what i mean kind of an indirect mentor if you will right uh in the sense that you can observe the the operation what what do you think that they what was it that they were doing right um not not necessarily about the food but from like a business perspective so he what 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 instantly resonated with me outside of just the food was that I'd been carrying this grudge with me of like, how am I going to prove, you know, how am I going to prove her wrong? You know, how am I going to do this? Like, I really want to do this. And it's not just about proving her wrong, but it's about proving myself that I, that I have the ability to accomplish something I set out to. Like I wasn't born with means. Um, I wasn't born with money. And like, so it was for me more, it's like, you know, does this dream exist? Like if this dream exists, we sh- I should be able to attain it if I, if I want it, if I work hard, you know, like, so anyways, aside from that, 
Torchy's taco truck was this beacon to me because what I saw was this guy is making better food than I have back in Tulsa that I can experience. And he's doing it for the price point that I can afford. And he's doing it out of a food truck. And so I found out that, you know, you can build a food truck for like $15,000, you know, like something like that. So one tenth of what my, you know, my old mentor brought, came to me and said, you're going to need to do this. I just found a way in like, like not only did I find like my new obsession with, with food for the next couple of years, but I also found a way for a, a way in a way to do yeah. it. So, I mean, obviously like people always think, and I think this is a very common misper- misperception. Like if you're opening a restaurant, I need to start with my dream restaurant and that it cannot be further away from the truth. You no. start where you can. Yep. And I would say in 2011, the, the, that was a very common theme. Start where you can. 2011 started the food truck because the overhead so low. Yep. The market's changed a lot since oh, then. Most definitely. It's much more competitive. I would not open a food truck today. Yeah. Perfectly uh, honest. I would not open The one. good news, it's even easier to get started today with because uh, people are doing pop-ups you can use a ghost kitchen to test a concept and all yep. you need for that is literally a recipe and a brand that you can put together for at for four hundred dollars at 99 designs most definitely you know what i'm saying so it's even easier to break yep. into this industry if you truly have something unique and special yeah and the, so, and the main thing is that you like that people have to realize though is you know the easier it gets to do this it's also more saturated yeah. there's way more people that are doing it and not being successful at it and you, so when you when you look in say like man why am i not being successful at this well just take just take a look around like you know we whenever we did the food truck i never saw myself being somebody that wanted to like make a replicatable model or like make systems you know it was more like my cooking style in the past was more like oh yeah so um i know how to make food taste good okay well there should probably be more to it involved than that. Yeah. You know, there should be, there is, there is hundreds and hundreds of years of recipes and yeah. shit for a reason. You know, there's a reason that you should take the time to do this. But, but anyway, so, uh, I don't even know where, where I'm getting off track on this, but creating systems. Where were we going with so this? The, Please, can I'm, you I'm redirect me? Like, no, yeah, we're trying to dissect uh, the Torchy's tacos. It's Mike Ripka, I believe is the, yeah. the gentleman behind that. Um, and, I mean, we pointed out that you, you can start where you can, right? You don't you don't need to. The idea of needing oh. a, a one million dollar loan to open your restaurant is not true. Just start where you can. I think the other thing that I would look at, at looking at Torchies is say do one thing really well. well most definitely. Which that, I, and I was wondering if you picked up yeah. on that because you, that, you. That's chose what we to do. do one yeah, thing yeah, really that, well. and and we totally took that. We we yeah. were totally inspired by them. It's like okay, just do tacos. Don't do tacos and and like a. Sh- giant burrito menu and a giant salad menu and a giant all of this and yeah. that and that like no man fo- ho- hone in on one thing like i don't like going to any place that has a menu that's larger than one page yeah. i i do not like it mm-hmm. it's frustrating to me and all i sit there and think of is like how are you keeping up with this mm-hmm. how are you keeping up with the inventory mm-hmm. with quality control training, yeah. training yeah. like all of that that's, shit that all equates, like what are you doing that's waste oh, that's my God. hours on actually just telling and, the person bringing them to standards and how much of this food did you actually produce in-house or because the menu is so big are you compromising quality on exactly. just so you can have a bigger menu and yeah. like what the fuck man like that's and, disgusting and, you know, the, the market's getting much more competitive so it's it's harder and harder to do a lot of things no. 
really well because somebody else in your market probably does focuses on doing one thing way better hone in on, on one thing yeah. like really and, and really like like with this uh, chicken and the wolf with hot chicken you know we we opened that when mother road market came to us and they approached and said like hey would you guys like like to be an anchor within this facility you know because lone wolf has become pretty popular like do you have a concept you like to come in and kind of be an anchor in here so we created the chicken and wolf concept whenever after they approached us let's but, put that um, on the back burner because i feel like we're going to oh, get to that sure, chronologically sure. Yeah, so go right ahead, man. so you get to the point now where you're like okay actually this is a great place to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. I started this podcast because I have a passion for serving people in the restaurant industry because they have a passion for bringing people together with the ultimate love language, their cooking. But with all that cooking comes great, giant, greasy piles of pots and pans, and we can't waste our valuable time with endless sink changeovers, so we must upgrade to Don Professional Pot and Pan. Don Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor, less dish soap, fewer changeovers, and more time doing what we love, bringing people together with the ultimate love language, food. Not to mention, Procter & Gamble Professional also provides a wide range of disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Dom Professional, it's clean, upgraded. All right, we're back. And now, so you... You're still in Austin. Like, when do you say, okay, I'm going to go back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm going to open my food truck? When did that, like, when did you say, this is what I'm doing? Let's get to work. So I spent uh, basically a year in Austin um, and just took in the food culture, um, took in the food truck scene, really just uh, took that inspiration. You know, I was down there to play music, but secretly, you know, inside of me, what I was doing was like plotting the next move, you know, because music really didn't seem to be working out the way it was going to, um, which is like the story of every musician's life. (laughs) Um, But so my Danielle, um, we were actually my wife and I, well, we weren't married at the time. We were actually on a split. Um, and, uh, we decided to, to reignite things and we decided that we were going to look towards the future and started coming up with plans. Like what, what do we want to do? Like, what can we do? You know, she was a hairstylist and I was a, a line cook. Um, what can we do? And it's like, Oh shit, do I need to go to hair school? And like we can open a salon together. And that was really a debate that we had. And that, that could have been a path that we took and maybe it would have been fun. Like who knows what, so life, how'd you win? You know? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I thought you were winning or losing, but you know what I'm saying? How did you guys choose to go the food route? Well, I made her a killer bun me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. You know, what, what, what was awesome was actually like we were, I was on a tour at the time. Um, and I was in San Diego or uh, San Francisco and Danielle flew out to San Francisco to uh, spend a week with us on in the West Coast. We were just going down California, um, and we were we had just played the Warfield in San Francisco, and we were staying like a couple blocks away. And we woke up in the morning, and we were walking with the group of guys to go to this bakery. They all wanted to go to some bakery, um, and we were walking down the street and. Um, uh, I mean, we were walking down the street enjoying a joint and just kind of like, you know, having a nice, nice casual breeze walking down San Francisco. And we passed by this bun me shop. And so we had bun me in Oklahoma. We had bun me in Tulsa. In Oklahoma City, we had Lee's is like iconic. They're like the people that brought bun me to Oklahoma. Okay. Huge respect for them. Um, and whether you've been in Tulsa. It really, it was really lacking. You know, like you can go to like Nam High grocery store to get a bun me that you it, you know, not sure when it was made, you know, potentially. Um, 
wrapped in plastic wrap sitting by the front counter. Um, but that was really my only exposure really to Bun Me in Tulsa. So we were walking by and I was actually cooking at the Asian restaurant. So my whole world was like engulfed in Chinese, Vietnamese and Korean flavor profiles as everything I was cooking at that time. Gotcha. Um, and so we were in San Francisco and we we're walking by to go to this bakery and Dan, we walked by this Bun Me shop and it was this kind of like modern Bun Me shop. You know, it, it definitely wasn't a traditional Bun Me shop in any way, shape or form. Um, and Danielle just goes, dude, I don't want pastries. Can we please go get a sandwich? And I said, sure, fuck it. Let's go. Um, yeah. So we go into the sandwich shop and it was a bun me shop like we'd never seen before. You know, they had roasted garlic aioli. They had, you know, like a cucumber cilantro aioli. And they had, you know, different uh, different proteins that just weren't your standards. Um, at that time, I think we got uh, a garlic pork or a lemongrass pork uh, bun me um, with a roasted garlic aioli. And... Uh, I was, you know, I was like, okay, cool, awesome. Well, whatever. I really kind of wanted donuts today, but we got that. And yeah. we were walking down. We stepped outside. She took a bite. Her eyes lit up, and she put it in my face, and I took a bite. And we just went, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. This is so good. Wow. Like, this is so good. And my world at that time was so immersed in the in the cooking of you know Chinese Vietnamese and Korean that I was doing at the restaurant I was cooking at so I really like entered my my obsessive compulsive uh, entered this this type of cooking provides perfect balance I have to balance sweet spicy savory sour and find a little hidden flavor profile to put in the back burner they're like I I, I have this like map in front of me mm-hmm. and a man my mind can follow a map like i can follow i can hone in on that shit so like asian cooking really just it became this thing that i was obsessed about it's this the only thing that i wanted to research it was like i think it was around this time maybe even a little bit before like the, there was a real insurgence of asian inspired cuisine that dude straight up yeah with like just fermentation yes. and like the f- the flavor profiles that you're yep. talking about yep. and, and and think you guys are you're ahead of it at this time i think that probably was happening 2000 Maybe it probably happened first on the West Coast with the yep. Asian influence. Which is, I think, you know, we were lucky. Like, we, I was on tour playing music, and we were lucky that we happened to be out there. Because yeah. we were already, like, we were already developing a shit. I think at that point, we had actually purchased a box truck. Okay. Danielle and I purchased a box truck, and then we went out on that tour. So you already so knew you wanted. To we do knew a food we, truck. we we knew like we wanted to do a food truck because we had come home from Austin, yeah. and we already had the plan in our head. Like yeah. we're doing a food truck. Yeah. I can do this for one tenth of what we were told we had to do this for. This is the plan. We're going to figure out how to do it. Okay. Um, so then it was like we started writing menus, and we had this burger truck all mapped out at a whole menu. We did test recipe testing on it with friends, and I went out on that tour, and we we went to that to this bun me shop, and both of our minds were just fucking absolutely blown by the perfect harmony of this sandwich and we both just instantly said like there is not a damn place in Tulsa that anybody can experience this like nobody can nobody can another like really important thing like you were going to do a burger concept which probably would have been great who knows who knows how many other people were doing that right the thing about doing something that nobody else is doing your unique selling proposition is that you instantly become number one yep and it's a lot easier to be number one when you're the only one. Yeah, but then what do you do with it? You know what's not easy is staying there. Yeah. Because when you become number one, you also get a target on your back. Yeah, well, um, well I think we'll get into that. But like, sure. take us through, like, okay, like now you have your, you know what you're going to do. You have your truck. Uh, as if you're giving somebody advice right now to start their own food truck, what you did versus what you would have done. And we already know that you wouldn't start a food truck with what you know today. But pretend like you don't know that. Okay, well, you know, and what's funny is, well, I guess it's not funny, but this, my advice that I would give somebody on how to approach it today is I think exactly 
the way that I approached it then. Like, if I was starting back over now, if everything wiped clean and I had to completely start over, I would approach whatever concept I decided to do the exact same way. And so, you know, I approached this with... Um, so. I, before music, I was an artist, um, you know, and then so I had a history back. I went to college for graphic design and understood the importance of, of imagery, understood the importance of advertising and what that can do, like how you can completely sell somebody's opinion and sway somebody's mind to say, this thing is amazing because of this advertisement I just saw, this imagery I just saw. You can paint a picture in somebody's mind. So I had art and then we had music. And so I... To promote Lone Wolf and the way that I would promote anything else I want to do now is I would treat it just like a band. Like, that's how we got people to our shows, you know, was being plastering the scene. So anyway, so anyways, what I was saying was that I, I would I think that I, if I was going to promote something else, I would promote it exactly the way that we promoted shows as a band. You know, like you plaster the town with posters. You know, if you if you really want and when you think about plastering the town, like I guess now that would be like social media. You yeah. know, you got to plaster social media. Go ahead and sponsor your ads. Yeah. Make sure that you talk to a graphic designer and make make something that looks good. You know, you, you it's all about the first impression. I mean, shit, people don't have patience or time to stop on something that isn't going to appeal to them, catch their eye, make them stop and look at it. So if you're, if you're not really approaching it that way, you're, you're going to be lost in the mix of everything, especially with, like you're saying, you know, ghost kitchens and pop-ups, like everybody's, it's so much more accessible now that it's so much more flooded. And if you look at somebody that's being successful and you're not, and you wonder like, why am I not? Well, just take an outside look, like think about it as a business. It took me a lot of years of being a business owner to really think about looking at it as a business and saying like, no, well, no, there's something wrong here. If I have something that's good, there's a, there's something that I'm doing wrong in the formula of what I'm putting out that can be tweaked to make it work. Um, you know, with this, it's like just putting it out. Like I would, I would pla- I, not only would I plaster social media with the most eye catching, popping, crazy shit that just makes you look at the food and say, I have to eat this. And if I can't eat this, my life is over yeah. you know yeah. like you got to feel that even just when you first told us your first encounter with the bami like the way that you delivered that story of just how it blew you away in like in sharing that love and that passion you got excited and ever since you started talking about that bami my stomach is roaring at me right now like i'm like salivating like a like a dog like one of uh what's that the the dog of somebody the the principal there like uh the bell Oh, what's that guy? You know, the, the, the psychologist? The psych- I, I, you know what I'm I, talking I, about? No, right? I'm, absolute, I'm absolutely struggling. Oh, man. Anyway, it's like the bell <laughs> rings and then the dogs will start to salivate because then he would feed him like afterwards so like you get like a dog to salivate with the bell. Anyway, that's what's happening with me right now. So like that's exactly... Um, but that's your point. Like you got to really sell. You got to. It's about that image that you're painting, and you have to be everywhere. It's not enough just to paint the image. You got to smack that shit on every wall, every surface in front of. You got to sh- no. keep on showing. They've got to be able to feel that. Like if if you want, they've got to be able to feel that exact same excitement yeah. that you're pushing out. Yeah. Um, if they can't feel that same excitement, it's probably just going to get washed over. Exactly. Um, so okay. So take us through like. You talked about like you have to be everywhere. You have to have that excitement. But what else do we need to know about uh, being a successful food truck operator? Um, that it is 10 times more work than you will ever realize. You yeah. know, don't look at it as like this is something that's going to be fun. It's not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun if you want to close within a year and have a story to tell your friends. Like, hey, remember that year that I ran a food truck? But if you like... 
if you have kids you want to support, like if you have like, oh shit, like, you know, I've got to get it together. Like, no, this is, this is more. And I think that I did naively go into it thinking that it would be fun. I'm sure that I did at the time I was in my twenties and invincible. I mean, I, we, (laughs) that whole first year, like we operated off of Mezcal. Um, (laughs) Like that was it. You know, that is how we operated. Like there's something to be said about doing it young because you're going to have that endurance that you need. And sometimes I think about if I do, if I, do I really still want to open a restaurant on my own at this? Like I'm 35 now. I'm not an old man, but like, Man, doing it in your early to mid twenties. <laughs> yeah, when you have that drive, man. Yeah. You know, I would like, you know, I would, I would not sleep. You know, we would, we would. It was amazing in those early days because we, we were so lucky to become to like hit a, the right time with food trucks and with the bun me in town. That you know, a lot of it is timing and luck. Also, like if you have a great idea, but maybe it's not the right time for that idea. Boy, it's worth it to know. Like, what is the right time for me to roll this out? Yeah, um, sure. And there's a lot of luck involved in that. Um, and, yeah. Dude, so going forward, so what What are some of the, the, the specific issues? It's hard to run a food truck. So what are the most un, most common unforeseen issues that people run into with food trucks that you can just give anyone who's listening to this saying, I'm going to open a food truck, not trying to talk people out of it, kind of am but at the same time just letting people know what to fully understand what what to expect okay so if you're not a mechanic either become one or find one that you can have on call to come help you out at any given time your your truck like if you're like like us and you like you didn't come into this with investors or supporters or anything and you don't have seventy five thousand dollars to put into a truck like you're buying a 1982 food truck which is what we bought and you know we branded it wrapped it cleaned it all up made it look nice as hell um but it was a 1982 food truck so if you're gonna you have to do it that way get a mechanic or become a mechanic youtube is incredible for how to work on food trucks um but you know the big thing is understand that how much more labor goes into opening a food truck's doors for sale than opening a restaurant's doors for sale there's so many more hours that get put into it labor is costly and it takes a lot of time logistics man. too that people don't take into consideration Dude, straight you can't, up you can't you can't prepare food in your food truck you can only bring it together and sell right. it so you need a commissary what that people don't take that into account Dude, and at the time in 2012 there were no commissary kitchens mm-hmm. they didn't exist and when you approached people about it they looked at you like you're like you know you're like you're a leper walking mm-hmm. into their place like <laughs> like i mean it's crazy yeah. um and you know, we were very fortunate that we had a guy brian fontaine who actually works for elliot nelson who you just interviewed okay. um brian runs a place called fastler hall that elliot owns yes. uh, with brian and uh brian you know we we had become friends. I actually used to work for Elliot whenever I was coming up with whenever I was coming through the ranks within cooking. I was a, during a cooking sabbatical. I worked for Elliot. That neither here nor there. But uh, Brian and Elliot gave me my first commissary kitchen um, through their bar. Um, and and so like yes, you have to have a commissary kitchen. You've got to be able to prep your food. You got to be able to transport your food. You've got to be able to keep your food cold while you're transporting your yeah. food. You got to be able to keep your food cold while you're doing your whole operation. If you're working a food truck festival or something like that, you've got to keep food stocked and cold for three days straight. Well, you better have a good relationship with a purveyor yeah. and be able to get a refrigerated trailer put right next to your food truck. A ton of things. Um, uh, another thing that comes up too. Um, in, in my interviews with people who got their siren food trucks is it's harder to scale a food truck because you have to 
employ something because you need a new set of a whole another set of skills to be able to put somebody in charge of a food truck. Um, like, are they responsible enough to take your livelihood and drive it around town? And can they work on it if you're not around? Like, these are all the little variables yep. that you have to think about when you want to start a food truck. Um, what else have we, we touched on that comes to your mind? Um, I don't know, but uh, well. Uh Get you know most of the people that open a food truck. I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I was a back house guy. You know, I was back. I wasn't front of house. I was back house. So if you're going to open your own food truck, and it's because you're an awesome cook. Um, yeah, dude, can I get a, uh, like a cream soda or something? Yeah, thanks, bro. You got a server. I'm good, man. I still haven't even touched my water yet. Thank yeah, you. you. You know what's amazing? That's Jeff Crow. Okay, so he's the general manager here at Chicken and the Wolf. Okay, he worked my very first day on our food truck in 2012. Very first shift. That says something, right? there. He's been with us since the very first day. That's incredible. It's amazing. I, yeah. I absolutely love that so guy. So, what point um, are you saying to yourself? I want to get out of the. Or am I cutting your? Well, no. The only point. It's a very quick and precise point. Um, if you're a backhouse person and you really want to, you know that you like my path can be a food truck. Well, you better understand. You're but you better learn front of house real quick you're because. Every- Holy shit, you're the man. Restaurant. You're you are. You're the face. You're ev- you are everything. And and the way that you talk to people matters. I learned my lesson the hard and I'm still learning my lesson, but I you know, I learned the hard way. Like, man, you really you really have to embrace what you hated at other restaurants that you had to take in, like, you know, if a customer was shitty dude and you know, a manager had to smooth it over or whatever. Well, you're that manager now. Mm-hmm. You smooth over exactly. your own issues. And so be ready for that. So when did you say to yourself, okay, because it wasn't long because you guys opened your, your brick and mortar in two thousand what was it fifteen that you were on the show trying to find <sighs> So you went, did you go three years with just the food truck? So we were, yeah. So we were in the food truck 2012, 2013, 2014. I believe we were on the show in 2014. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's when it was. So what was going through your mind? Um, you saying I, I want, I need a brick and mortar. Like I, I want to scale this thing. I, I want to be able to do more volume. Um, I'm, I'm making assumptions right now, yeah. but is this what you're? No, thinking? they're totally right. I mean, okay. like we were so lucky that when we started off with food truck, we would have hundred person deep lines. Yeah. Like it was, it was like a phenomenon. You know, we were in the we were in the press constantly, weekly. We could go do cooking segments on the news anytime we wanted. It just became this like great. I like was so humbled, and I, I almost you know I come to tears when I think about the fact of how well we were embraced right in the beginning. So we had this scalable issue that we had to deal with. Like I've got to be, I've got a hundred people in line. These people are on lunch break. Thank you so much, Jeff. These people are on lunch break. I've got to get them fed and back before. And I've got a food truck with one flat top griddle. So we instantly had to create systems for scaling. Like, how can we do this and how can we crank this shit out to where a customer walks up, they tell us what they want within... 15 seconds we hand them that food so we did it and you know we were able to do that but uh so we instantly were hit with oh shit this truck is not enough like i can't keep up with this because we would have to cook all night long sell out the very next day wake up as early as we can go pick up product because we didn't have purveyors at the time so i had to go to sam's club i had to go to the asian grocery stores i had to go everywhere across town five different stops just to get my product and then go back and prep all the shit for a seven-hour prep shift, get a two-hour break, go get set up, go take the truck to go fill up propane, hope you don't break it down on the way to get propane, get back, <laughs> hook up your electricity, pray to fucking God that the electricity doesn't blow your breaker or something, and then pray that, that 
you know, your thermocouples are going to work and your pilot lights are going to stay lit. <laughs> like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, you just painted a really good picture of why it's not necessarily easier. Oh, no, it's, it's so fucking so hard. The difference between every brick and mortar is you just show up at the restaurant, you have people dropping food off to oh, you. It's the greatest thing on earth. <laughs> you know? And like nobody understands the struggle unless you come from, which is like, I do promote the struggle because the struggle gives perspective. We haven't made any strides off of our successes. We've made all of our strides off of our failures. Mm. What were the biggest failures you made? Uh, that, reflecting back up to this point before going into trying to, to recruit the revenue you need to start your own brick and mortar. Um, not taking it seriously enough. Um, definitely. From the get-go, not taking it seriously enough. Um, what specifically? Uh, I guess maybe the role that... You have to, man, I don't know. This is such a hard question, but I definitely feel like the role that you have to play whenever you like, just, you know, I hate this shit. Like just because you open a business doesn't mean like all of a sudden you have to be like the beacon for morality and all of this shit. Like, but you do have a role to play whenever you put yourself center stage and like you put yourself in front of the public and the words that you say have impact, you know, the way that you react to people have impact. The humility that you have has impact. Was there a bad experience? Did you do something or say something that was a backlash? Well, no. I mean, I, I can definitely think of times in that first year when uh, if somebody had like a bad experience, like they, sh- they, they came to the truck, you know, hoping to get to experience this. And, you know, they got in a line of 100 people and we sold out. You know, and we didn't have our systems or our shit together in place to be able to know that 25 tickets out, you're going to go out and you start, like, telling take, start telling people, maybe even start giving out some like, hey, your come next back. sandwich is comped on us when you come back. You know, like understanding that role that you have in because uh, people's emotions matter, even if it's just a sandwich, like you can still get wrapped up in that shit, depending on the situation that you were surrounded in leading up to getting that stupid fucking sandwich, yeah, yeah. you know, but like. So and I didn't care at the beginning. I, I think I was really defiant. Like I would even like tag other supporters and be like, "Hey, look at this person that's calling us assholes for being sold out." Everybody should like you know tell this person they're the asshole. You know, like stupid shit, <laughs> yeah. just stupid shit. Not being Whereas, very empathetic. Well, no, yeah. no, no, no. Even an hour of their no, time, right, to, dude? Yeah. They, exactly, man. Yeah. For us, like for us, yeah. they didn't have to do that shit. Yeah. It is amazing that they came to us, and I should have been like pleading with them, like how sorry I am. Like yeah. this is my fault. I've yeah. fucked up, yeah, dude. Yeah. Like I'm so sorry. Please let me take care of this. And that's totally the way that I am now um but but it definitely took you know i don't i don't know when i became reflective upon you know maybe it was this moment right now that i'm now reflective (laughs) upon my shortcomings in that first year i've heard that a bunch of times that this is like therapy for a lot of restaurants so anything i can do to support my my fellow yeah my fellow but my my restaurant and i will say that like that but then also like and i know that you're probably going to get to this but going on the show uh restaurant startup and being on national tv and realizing the backlash that came um, was uh, very eye-opening, and it's still to, 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 what to today. What backlash? So, well, <sighs> at this point, before going on the show, you must have known that you're looking for a brick and mortar. Um, what was that part of your mentality of your like, you knowing that you got to be friend and center? That hey, if we're going to do this, we might as well get national press while we do it. Well, see, the crazy thing was like, yes, we were we were wanting to do a restaurant. We didn't really have any idea how to do that. You know, Danielle and I, neither one of us came from money. Um, so we didn't like 
debt was like I, re- I have a distinct memory of my mom bawling cutting up credit cards as a kid and saying yeah. never ever go in debt like and that stuck with me and like and you know the the concept of like going to a bank and asking for you know a hundred thousand dollars two hundred thousand dollars that almost seems like like that's like a fairy tale like no way in hell can yeah. i walk through a bank and do that um so what the when the show came around it's funny like I don't even know how much I can talk about because we had to sign all these non-disclosure agreements and all this shit. Like the show was canceled, yeah. so I don't know what kind of liability I actually have here to like yeah. to like lie for them, you know, about the reality of their TV show. Um, but you know, they they contacted us, so I got a random phone call one day that I happened to answer, which is fortunately like today I wouldn't answer the phone call if it was an unknown number, you know, with all this bullshit calls that come through yeah but fortunately that day i answered that call well i say fortunately because it did open doors for us but um they they it was the restaurant startups talent scouts or whatever and they they called us and they said hey we're a restaurant startup we we think it'd be very smart for you guys to come on our tv show i said oh really why and they said, oh, well, you know, because this is going to open doors for you. This is this is going to get you a restaurant. You know, this is going to get you national. Blah, blah, blah. They, they, they're, the person that called us, their whole job is to convince somebody to come on their TV show. Yeah. You know, that's their job. Convince this person to come on our show. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the show sells like this idea of like restaurants all competing to be on the show. But really, there's like this group of people calling, calling people that would could obviously use a boost and be like hey let's sell them this golden package you know yeah. um, i mean i get that but at the same time like if i was a restaurateur and i was one of the hosts of that show i would want to be recruiting people like i'd be like who do i want to invest in and invite them to pitch them for sure if know? they actually were really investors oh <laughs> uh, if they weren't just actors you know that'd be yeah, cool I mean, that'd be cool if they, if they really invested in the restaurants dude, that came I, on the I show have, that'd be I cool have ideas for shows and that's not what we're here to talk about right now yeah, but well, i've had people approach pick me. your producers exactly that's the thing i'm like they I, were evil evil to people to sign shit i'm like i'm not telling no, you anything uh anyway but uh, yeah keep going i apologize well, well yeah but like and i don't even know where i'm going with it was it the you perspective want to talk about money so you're looking this was an idea for promotion this was an idea to maybe get investors but so you right. ended up turning the deal down right we turned the deal down um and you know that's caused a backlash or whatever but you know the 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 awful Did thing is like we don't it did it did for so See, here's the stupid shit. Like, it was re- the, like the height of reality TV. You know, this is 2013 or something, yeah. you know, 14. Like, you know, there's there's not really any debates about the ethical nature of reality TV going on yet. Like, that's like a year or two down the road when it starts like really people start speaking out about like going on like Biggest Loser and being like, you know, this was like like this was a horrible like this was a nightmarish experience, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And But they portray this thing like so we you know, we we're still naive to this. We're like, you know, reality TV is real. Like yeah. we still actually believe we're start, that we're starting to like become like I think I mean it's, I hope every fully, I hope everybody's fully yeah. aware because it's been too many years now for people to not be fully aware that it is it is Hollywood yeah. you know they're using people that they don't have to pay to create shows it's the whole program is like you pay two actors. And then you get like a hundred that are non-actors yeah. and you get this free, this free show out of the deal, yeah. you know, and you sell it as like promotion. This is going to be great for your business. Um, and, you know, but with us, like in the, the, the horrible nature of reality TV at the time, I'm sure it has grown up since then. I don't watch it anymore. I, I, I cut it out of my life right after we had that experience on the yeah. show. I said, I'm done. Like I'll never watch so the show. So what happened ever after again. the show? Well, well, 
So it's more like what happened during that caused what happened after. Um, and what happened during is just so typical of like our business name was Lone Wolf. So they came to us and they said, like when we started the filming and everything, our first day on set, um, they came to Danielle and I and said, hey, guys, it's, it's great that you guys love each other. You know, it's good. It's nice. It's really nice. It's incredibly boring. But it's off. It's but it's incredibly brain. boring. <laughs> so they basically let us know right then that the name of the, our restaurant is Lone Wolf. They're going to peg me as a lone wolf. So that's what they're going to do. Every situation that they've already pre-planned, they've already pre-set up and put into motion that I'm unaware of is all to paint me as a lone wolf that doesn't listen to my wife and I take no advice from her and everything I do is about me. Lone wolf is about the lone wolf. And that's just so fucking... Did you go along with it? No, no. I fought them at every turn. <laughs> I, I called them out every time they tried to do it. I said, fuck you guys. Like, I see what you're doing. I'm not going to say that line. But I didn't know at the time how much power they held. They all that shit up. How much power they yeah. held. Like, and, and if you become defiant against somebody that holds that power against you, what, what like, give me a break. So when you see the show happen every single word that you hear come out of my mouth i said on a separate day to a separate question that was put in a different place so the reaction can paint this picture of a lone wolf and and like they would blatantly lie to me and danielle and it was just a fucking nightmare and if they come to sue me because i said that well you know what fucking bring it on assholes (laughs) um sorry (laughs) yeah like god damn it i wasn't even supposed to talk about this but um so the show the show did though like it did the exposure that it brought was this so there's been a lot of backlash because like i get hate emails still to this day if the episode happens to run like on tv it's pretty much guaranteed people being like oh that that day like like, you son you're so mean you're horrible to your wife i can't believe that you still have a business you're you disgust me your attitude you know like i can't believe like and it's just like, dude, come on, man. Like, fuck, that's not, that's not, that's not it. But, but, you know, at the same time, like, it's made me so self-aware of, like, having to really be focused on, like, yeah, well, sure, perception is everything. And, like, man, well, I appreciate I, you blowing the whistle, man. Like, yeah. honestly, and, and, and then, like, that's, like, that's exactly the world that I'm trying to, when I say the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And I, I truly believe my heart of heart, if there's one industry that's going to change the world, it's going to be the restaurant industry because we touch the most people and we influence the most people, not Agreed. just any people, but the young people that come to work for us, the oh, values dude. we can instill in people, you know? Um, and I think that if we can change this industry, which is the goal, the world will change. That's the, that's the goal. I completely agree with you, man. Yeah. And if anybody gets asked to go on a show like this, like today, a restaurant or like a young budding restaurant, or this is going to do wonders for you it probably can but here's the deal go in knowing the manipulation yeah like no go in knowing that every reaction you give can be used so go in knowing that you're going to paint yourself the way that you want yourself to be painted and that maybe that means you actually got to act a little bit you know to like maybe you've got to try to become a little bit yeah. of an actor to make sure that like you're not like the 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 real you is who comes across because what a nightmare to like who who you know you are is a picture can be painted and like that's everything like yeah. oh my god that's everybody so you decide to turn down the offer they they want to invest in you and your restaurant but they didn't like they wanted to say it on tv but they, they wanted to say it they didn't want to come through before you even walk out the door 
to the the final shot like the final shot it's all built up you're there for a fucking week by the way yeah. you're not there for two days you're there for a week <laughs> yeah. you're working 18 hours a day on set with your child in a hotel room oh, that's bawling because they're still nursing and they won't even let you nurse your child because you're held on set hostage for 18 hours a day so like you're there for a week going through this shit by the end of it you're so mentally broken down and so ready to get the fuck out of there they're like now you got to go have your big final shot and it's like before we even walk out they say hey guys just so you know no pressure what do you mean no pressure (laughs) they go well you know even if they offer you a deal it's not really a deal unless their lawyers call you later and actually want to make one to you it's like oh so so no matter what i say here it doesn't matter and like i got so fucking mad about that (laughs) like it's like this is not even if they offer me a deal i'm not gonna get a deal unless they choose to later like what? <laughs> so instantly it says like if so if, that if, if, not, I, if that this is, is a, a game, there's a train driving by. It's not Philip's head about to blow off. It is my head it's about the, to blow off. It's actually his ears. Uh. <laughs> it's actually somebody just ate some extra hot <laughs> chicken tenders behind me, and that's the train sound. So, uh, <laughs> um, but, we are we are outside right now, um, recording this, and we're gonna get to the reason why later on. Uh, so if you are listening to this and you are watching this and you've dealt with me stopping the interview a couple times it's because uh the sun is beating behind us and um, i was worried about the cameras in my computer overheating so i just wanted to get them into the shade so just a, a thank you in advance but i do want to i do want to wait for this train to pass yes it is incredibly close um we're directly behind the train tracks <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine man like this is this is like this is reality Yes. This is reality. This is reality. Radio. There's not a single Plus. producer that forced that train, to, un- unless you had no. something to do with this, and <laughs> you prearranged that train. This is I, like, <laughs> and like we'll, we'll probably um, we'll edit a lot of the stuff that happened today out. But cool. People understand, man. They know that I'm driving around the country. Yeah. It, um, okay, that's probably far enough. I, I want to get into you opening your first brick and mortar and how you did it and the lessons learned and how, what what new opportunities you, you've taken from there on. So, you know, we uh, we went straight from the food truck. Um, we bought another food truck. Before we decided to open a brick and mortar, we said, oh, um, screw it, let's do two food trucks. Yeah. So we went into a commissary kitchen. Um, we moved into our own official commissary kitchen. At, at the time before that, we were sharing a commissary with another food truck, which is definitely something you can do. Split your commissary costs with another food truck, but make sure that you guys are, you know, you guys are compatible to share a space together because two different businesses in one space can be crazy yeah, at times. Don't do two pizza locations. Don't do two spot. pizza yeah. spots in one spot. Exactly. Competing for the same resource, dude. Most definitely. Yeah. We had bun me and tacos. It worked out very well. Um, but we were in our own spot and we decided to do another food truck. But we had this this whole like area that was being unutilized. So we said, oh, let's make this a front of house and let's 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 try to make this a to go operation. Okay. So we turned our commissary kitchen into a to go operation, and I started like packaging other stuff that now, I didn't do. Is this the location do. down the street? That no, it's Don't actually you? not. Okay. It, this was a location just before that. It was it was actually one year before the Eleventh Street Route sixty six location. Okay, and we were we were. This is where we were. This is when we went on the show. Okay, so we went on the show while we were in our commissary gotcha, kitchen. Gotcha. So like all of the numbers we were reporting to them were based off of food trucks, not off of brick and mortar, and all of that crap. Um, so we, um, whenever we came back from the show, we were still in that place and. There's this spot that's on Route 66 right across from University of Tulsa's campus, like directly across from the football stadium. 
and it's always turned over. It's been one of those like you know cursed location restaurants. People believe it's a cursed location because the another shitty restaurant closed down. You know that just didn't have their systems in place yeah. or just something wasn't right about what they were doing. And so it closes and reopens a new spot every year. And people keep saying like would always say this spot is cursed. But anytime my wife and I would drive by, we'd say. Dude, like, if we could just have that spot, because look, like, right next door to it is a Jimmy John's. On the other side of it is a Taco Bell. On the other side of that is an Arby's. On the other side of that is a Coney Islander. On the other side of that is a Taco Bueno. Like, these fucking corporate places see benefit to this area. So maybe it's not that the restaurants were cursed. Maybe it's that their operations were not correct. Yeah, just you know? Like, yeah. when, exactly. Uh, all those little things that can cause a restaurant yeah. to close that are a nightmare that compound. Um, but we, uh, my wife was driving by it one day right after we got back from the show, and she said, holy shit, dude, it's available. And um, I said, okay, cool, let's do it. So we, she called, and we went, and we walked through the space. And uh, we were still, at that time, very afraid of, of you know, debt and money. And we would have to uh, somehow go into debt to, to build this space out. Um, you know, we had enough equipment from our commissary to move over and say, like, we have the cooking equipment. But now we have to do tables and chairs. We have to make the place look right. We have to, you know, invest in some merch to sell. Like, it was like, oh, shit, we got to put on our big boy pants and like we're really gonna have to turn this into a restaurant you know so and how'd we, you do it without getting into too much debt uh well we 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 did we did it all from the ground up we we like i bought a bunch of really shitty wood from home depot the cheapest shit you could and i looked up tutorials on how to burn the wood and lacquer it and my my uh wife's dad uh harold and i spent like a week straight burning wood planks um and you know burning wood planks glazing them taking the cheapest thing that we could and trying to make it look the best that we could. And so we actually went into there without taking out a loan. We just moved all of our equipment we had from our commissary over, which was not suitable for the volume that we were ab- about to start doing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, this is something that comes up again on the show, and we talked about it even earlier, is that it doesn't have to be perfect on day no, one. No, it's hell no, be man. better than what you were at. Yeah. And then you just slowly start making improvements as cash flow. Dude, 100%. Yeah. Slowly progress. Like, yeah. You have to slowly work yourself into it. Don't ever like if your business like let's say your business takes in fifty grand and you've got you've got fifty grand sitting in your bank account. Well, please don't spend that fifty grand. But please like spend five of it. Mm-hmm. You know, spend five on something that's gonna improve your space. And then build up another fifty and spend another five. Like you really just have to really do this in slow steps. Unless you have backers and you have money and you have yeah. confidence in the fact that if it all bellies up your life is not ruined. So did you have a system for saving money, a process for saving money? Um, no, no, hell no. Not, not at first. Our process at first, like we didn't know our employee costs. We didn't like, I, uh, I understood food cost. Um, I understood food costs. We had stuff priced. We pri- it was so stupid the way I did it in the beginning because it caused us to make so little money the first four years. Like We made next to nothing. We made enough to pay payroll. We made enough to sustain our life, to pay our rent at our house, and to keep working. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And every penny went back in. Every single penny we made was re- re-put, was stayed in the business account. All those pennies that I made those first years are still in the business account, by the way. That's I'm awesome. eight years in. I do not, we don't touch that. Like It does nothing but stay in the business account. That's not my, maybe it's my money one day, but it's not my money today. Yeah. It is there for the business. And like, 
Yeah, I learned that from Jim and Mike Bausch from Andalini's is yeah. like you're you get into the food industry. Like if you want to like try to make yourself have a successful life, don't ever think that you're doing that in a couple of years. Like nope. this is the long game, man. Oh, you're yeah. you're doing this in 15, 20, 25 years if you play your cards right mm-hmm. and playing your cards right means a lot of shit you got to learn, man. Like learning employee costs, learning food costs, learning vendor costs, learning how to negotiate vendors and negotiate rebates. And so where did you go to learn? all this stuff and what did you learn give me something specific that you learned that you wish you knew sooner so the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when i was uh, we were operating the food truck outside of the canes ballroom one night um and this was like our spot you know the nobody came and shared our spot with us this big shiny brand new food truck rolls up and my wife goes what the fuck these guys think they're doing and this guy comes out gets out of the food truck comes walking up and introduces himself to me as jim bausch and uh asked if uh, if there was any way i was be cool with him setting up his food truck next to next to us and my wife was like you get that guy out of here like this he's gonna be cannibalizing our business and i said i'd really love a slice of pizza bro <laughs> I was like if you will trade me a slice of pizza for an order of kimchi fries i will allow you to set up right next to us and like he was so grateful and instantly he was like you know you could have told me to fuck off you know it's jim like yo you you could have told me to fuck off Uh, you know but (laughs) but he uh like so he instantly like a friendship started in that exact moment but that's a lesson right there man and and and, like no like hard feelings towards your wife but when you take that mentality she knows yeah when you take that mentality like you the thing is you you go so much further together and here's the thing and, and I always afraid to say the Andalini's because I, I said it wrong on the show. <laughs> um, the thing is, like they have an incredible following. So oh, yeah. what are they bringing to you that you would have never, never otherwise had? They might be coming to that spot to get, yep. get some pizza, and in the process, they're going to be like, "Oh, I've never had one of these bombies." And then also, what did you score for a mentor in that moment in Dude, time? It was amazing. Like, like you can't. You can never undervalue the importance of the relationships that present themselves to you. If a door opens up, walk through that door. Mm -hmm. Do not close the door. See what's on the other side. You can always go back through, man. Like There's an escape route somewhere, but never just ignore an open door to see where it can lead you because Jim took us in. He became our, our business father. Yeah. Like he took, took us in. He had countless meetings with us where we would go in and Danielle and I, half the meetings that we had with Jim in the first days, we didn't understand a fucking word. He said, we were like, he would have us meet with his accountants and his accountant was a big fast talking numbers guy. And he'd be like, you know, okay, this is what I can do for you. And we, we would leave those meetings with our heads just spinning. Like I didn't retain any of what did he say? Oh <laughs> shit. We were supposed to learn something, but we were so lucky that this relationship just continued to go and continue to bud. And Jim taught us how to grow a business with integrity. Mm. And I, I think that was the biggest thing that I what was What is taught. a business with integrity? A business with integrity is a business that understands its place within a community. It understands its place within the people that work within those walls, the people that those people go home to within their own walls. Um, you have a sense of responsibility in the fact that like, Okay, so I'm the only person making this type of bun me in town. Like, there's other people now or whatever, but like at the time, you know, there was nobody making bun me like me. Um, so if I wanted to, I could say, well, you know, fuck you. This is an $18 sandwich. It's, you know, it's like first come, first serve. This yeah. is this is the way the beast works, guys. This is capitalism yeah. at its finest. Yeah. Um, but like operating with integrity is knowing what you have, knowing what you're offering, understanding what the value in that is and not screwing people over. Mm -hmm. Like understanding that this is all part, we're all part of the bigger picture here. We don't like, 
We don't get ahead by stepping on people's backs. We get ahead by them helping pick us up. You know. So were you like, charging too much at one point? Oh no 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 no. We 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 instantly. Uh, what Danielle and I's motto was was we wanted to sell more, make less, not m- not make less not sorry not produce less and make more volume for the value right we wanted to push more out we wanted to be a place that was feeding 300 people a day but we wanted to be able to do but still make an honest wage like feel good about what we did at the end of the night be able to go to sleep and know like i have i have screwed over nobody okay you know like and they help you do this jim and mike oh my god yeah they, they they taught us all of all of our formulas that we have for for employee costs for food costs all of that stuff came from Jim and Mike like without a doubt if I if we didn't have that slice of pizza and he didn't have those kimchi fries that night I don't necessarily know where we would be it it, that relationship is so important yeah Uh, so I think the lesson there that you're getting is 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 open yourself up to other people find mentors and uh, listen and you know be a sponge right Um, so when did you end up at the spot that's right down the street? That was like um, oh yeah yeah so um, so we ended up in that spot like right after we got back from restaurant startup um, we that spot became came available mm-hmm. um, and so we so here's the thing like restaurant startup we came back uh, a couple months later the episode aired or whenever um, the episode aired and. We had right before that episode aired that spot became available so we took a plunge into it. Uh, I think we're good. Are you good? Yeah, okay. we're good. We're good. Um, so we took a plunge into that spot because because it became available and it was like, well, if this spot's available and we can afford to do it, it was the same amount of lease that our that our to go operation was, but it was street front. It was on a busy street. Like our place was tucked back. It wasn't ever meant for a lot of volume. So we moved over there. Um, we moved over there, and that was right before the show aired that we got in there. Okay. Um, oh shit! Was it right after the show? What I really want to know is like when you got there from that was two thousand seven or fifteen ish, right? Yep. Uh, to today, um, what are the biggest things you've changed in your business? The big evolutionary things like that take to the, the, what you went from you know first gear with the food truck, second gear gear at the commissary, third gear with this new location. Yep. I want to know what brought you into fourth gear and fifth gear and sixth gear. Is like the the key things that you started doing differently in your business. That if our listeners knew about this stuff, it will take them to those same gears. So when we got first got into that first location, it was just work your ass off. Like that was just the model. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing as a food truck. We really don't know what we're doing, so just work your ass off. As long as you're here all the time, what can really go wrong? You know. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the thing in the, in the early days. Just always be there, always be working. When did that change? That changed. Um, that changed. Whenever we got the call to open our second location. So that call came the day after the TV show aired uh, nationally. Okay. Um, that show aired, um, you know, people saw that we turned down the deal or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the very next day, uh, the George Kaiser Foundation called us. Um, George Kaiser is a Tulsa resident that happens to be a very successful businessman and entrepreneur um, and philanthropist. Um, he helps a lot of small businesses to you know, achieve the something they could not achieve on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's probably something a lot of people with uh, uh, huge amounts of wealth do. I don't know if it's, if it's tax write-offs or if it's like, you know, so did he good nature. So he, he called us. He yeah. called us immediately the next day and said, how about you let us open that restaurant that you're trying to open? Um, let us help you open the restaurant. Um, so he did not, uh, he invested in us in a sense. Um, we, uh, 
Basically, the George Kaiser Foundation came in and said, let us bankroll a restaurant for you. Don't go to the bank. We'll just be the bank. Um, and that was obviously the most incredible thing that could ever present what, itself to us at the time. And what was about what was good about this deal? That was, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to go back into the, the show. Sure. But like, what made this deal worth accepting? That when we got done with it, we owned this business hands yeah. out. We owed nothing to him whatsoever. Like the money that that we take from him to build this business gets paid off over the course of eight years. When that's done, this is our business. So you got like three, two years left. Yeah, we. I mean, yeah, we have. Well, yeah, we, I mean, I think we have four years left. Okay. Um, I believe we have four years left on the downtown location. So right now, um, and, and kind of to jump uh, ahead into current time, we we've been alluding to this. We're out, we're sitting outside today. And we have our mask off for this interview because you, when when COVID nineteen hit, like you had to completely remove yourself no. from the business. So I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is what got you to the place. Um, in the in, I'll let you explain why you had to completely move remove yourself from the business. But what got you to the place where you were able to be away from your business 24-7. So it was understanding the business, actually finally taking the time to understand all of those numbers. Like, the numbers matter, man. Like, the numbers matter. Employee costs. That's that's the biggest thing. Like, with Lone Wolf, we produce every single thing that we make from scratch. It takes a shit ton of labor to do all of that, to make those simple sandwiches. It takes a lot of labor. Um, and I never understood employee costs and, like, how dramatically one bad you know, uh, a couple bad hours of having too many people on yeah. can completely erase your margin for the day. So was this a Jim and Mike lesson or was this a new investor lesson? No, I think this was just a time lesson. This okay. was just like going through it. Yeah. Like we, we would go month after month after month, not knowing why we're not making any money. So you started money. really paying attention. Did you start leveraging any tools or services to really hone in like, like an app yeah. or what, what were you using? So we, with scheduling, that was a big thing. We took on seven shifts. Okay. Um, and Current so sponsor um, of the show. And I did not know that for the hey, man. Hey, Seven shifts sponsor me now that you've heard this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no. So seven shifts, you know, it's it's great. It's a, it's a great tool. You know, we use that, utilize that thing for like communication with all the managers, manager threads, all of those things. Like we really open up communication throughout the management team and just. The, the, I mean, the, really, the biggest thing was, and so we took on seven shifts. We also took on at the time we were using Cake um, was a POS system, and then we've uh, we've changed to Toast since then. Why so, did we change Toast? Um, we made the change to Toast, and you know, I wish that my partner Danielle was here because you know one of the biggest lessons we ever took on, also, which I apologize for going back here, but one of the biggest lessons we were ever we ever learned was from a guy named Phil and Miranda Kaiser that run a restaurant called Lafa here in town. And they, they're a husband and wife that have been successful and have always ran restaurants. And they, they took us in and said, hey, man, the one bit of advice as a husband and wife team, set your roles right now before you start your first day of service. Before you start service, set your roles. Don't change your roles. Anything that this person says is what goes in that role. Do not argue with them. That's their role. Yeah, and that's just that's not just husband wife. Oh, any, dude, any straight up partnership, business partnership, any type life partnership, yeah. business partner, whatever friggin' partnership it yeah. is. You have lanes. You write your name down next to those lanes, and you stay in your lane. Oh and my it, gosh! And, and and it's that's so important. Not only does yeah. it help you identify everything that needs to get done, it helps you hold people accountable. Well, it, well, most definitely, man. And like and shit, holding people accountable—that was one of the hardest lessons we ever had to learn. Also, like creating a hierarchy where you're not like. The more we grew, it was like shit. Like we were getting to where we had like seventy five employees, and we were we were coming from you know having two. Yeah. You know, and we we're like, how how the hell am I going to take a, resp- a responsibility for all of 
these people and like be active in their lives and be like knowing what their needs are and how am I going to do this? And you're like, well, if you're not going to fuck dude, that's why you create this. Like, that's why you have a management team. Yeah. That's what it's the whole, like it's like military, you know, like the person at the top is coordinating five generals and the generals yeah. are coordinating, you know, 25 uh, people beneath them and yeah. they're coordinating 300 people beneath them. And you really, if you can't get that, like getting that in place, getting food systems in place like every it's all about systems man and i i use my ocd to create systems like anybody can come into my place and make any one of my recipes at any given time because it is there is start a to point z exactly what you do you go over to prep it is point a to point z it is down by grams like like there is no way to mess this up because the systems we put in place and that is the lesson right there and that's what i was hoping you to get to is here's the thing like you are in your restaurant every day you recreated yourself you injected yourself your presence into checklists and systems and you're there because you recreated yourself in these things and that's what you got to start doing on day one but we scaled because i let go of that like we scaled because i put my trust in other people i found people that were better at those roles than i was like i have i have i have a a talent for cooking Mm. i have a talent for writing recipes and for writing uh, procedures like a cooking line procedures to where these things can be replicated like i i would love to open a fine dining restaurant that doesn't have a head chef that's just based upon recipes yeah. you know it's based upon recipes and technique and you can like have this badass fine dining place where there's no dick head you know chef that's barking orders mm-hmm. to everybody it's just like it's a team yeah. and that's what we do with lone wolf and all it's like we are it's all about the whole team thing like oh, yeah. there's no front of house or back of house like we're all sharing we're sharing those tips like we're a team i love that dude i really do and um i want to make sure we leave room for the speed round so we gotta start yeah. thinking about wrapping up the free flow portion but i do want to know um i mean and i and I, we've been kind of dancing like around this idea that like the reason why you're here, and I don't know if you're, am I allowed to mention that you, you had a, you have a son that's high risk? Yes. Yeah. Which so get into that real quick, which kind of explains like you're. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, sure. but I'm, I'm more interested in what your plans are for the future. To, but it sounds like your business model is counter service, um, so that. And probably does really well at takeout, I would imagine. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, and our business model is counter service. Like, we do want to have a fine dining restaurant one day. I yeah. want to do that whole experience. But like you said earlier, it's not about doing what you want to do first. It's about finding things that work first and, like, build up the infrastructure to where that thing that you really want to do is not such a risk anymore. Mm-hmm. Because, dude, the thing I want to do is a big risk. And it's a big gamble. And it's probably not going to be a moneymaker. Mm-hmm. It's just got to sustain itself because it'd be like a pet project. You know, it's like, this is what I want our town to be able to have here. Yeah. I don't give a shit if it makes any money but you can't do that unless you have things that are making money exactly. you know so yeah. so um, so get into it Talk oh to- yeah so my son so so yeah so very hands-on leading up to march the middle of march and then all of a sudden coronavirus happened and so for my my son my oldest son is about to turn seven years old on january 24th um for the first uh, six years of his life, he's dealt with an issue that's common for other people. It's called croup. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a respiratory issue, um, but his was is chronic and uh, an extreme to where his his throat would close off. Yeah. Um, any sort of virus that would take into his body, his 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 body would react. His throat would shut itself and close it because it, he wasn't like at an age yet where his throat was big enough. Mm-hmm. So any sort of like swelling would completely close mm-hmm. off his airway, like and not just kind of close off like this is like I'm being overly dramatic like his he could not take a single breath in his body was turning pale and then turning blue on the way to the emergency room and like it all would always happen in the middle of the night and like so we live with with steroids at all times like we he's never been able to stay the night at a grandparents house without going over the emergency protocol the plan and then like getting check-ins like is he gonna be okay and like every fucking minute that you're away all you're worrying is like is my son gonna die is are they gonna know what what's gonna happen like if this shit 
shit happens. Are they gonna are they gonna panic? Are they gonna panic and not like get him to the emergency room in time? Like it, it just fucking it completely like it completely takes over every fiber Dude. of your being. And, and so so like then coronavirus comes around. Yeah, and it's like. Oh, but I'm a restaurant owner. Like, we're in the fucking restaurants. Are you kidding me? So my first thought was like, oh, shit, this is all over. It's over. It's all over. And everybody in town was, like, furloughing their staff. And, like, everybody was just shutting down. Like, instant reaction. Like, oh, we've all got to shut down. We've got to shut down. Furloughs. And there's all this pressure. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to furlough your staff? Are you going to keep them on? If you keep them on, you're an asshole. And it's like, but wait, no, no. I think that furloughing makes you an asshole. And it's like, but no, but wait. Like, there was all this, like, craziness. And at the same time. My son had just gotten sick uh, two weeks before COVID was announced, and he had this rash all over his fucking oh, body. Like, I was wearing a mask in my house before, like, during that. Uh, and I didn't even know if this should, like, I remember wearing a mask and being like, hey, look at me, I'm an idiot wearing a mask thinking this thing's going to work. But, it, <laughs> like, I didn't get sick while I was caring for him. I was yes. like, holy shit, these masks work. And then COVID happened. It was like, everybody wore a mask. Like, please, it fucking works. Yeah. Like, I just proved it to myself yeah, that this right? works. But, I mean, but, I, but, I just like, want to, like, real quick, I just want to use you as an example. I mean, if you're out there as a restaurateur and you're thinking, Oh my god, I have it bad because of COVID nineteen. Like, man, it could always be worse. Imagine, oh, of course. Imagine having to. Like, we call our, our restaurant our baby sometimes. But imagine if your ba- like your restaurant baby and your actual baby are at risk. And like, and like, I'm just. I just want to use you as an example of somebody who's seemingly very positive, and very hopeful, and very optimistic. And I think that like perspective, right, man, is just what's going through my mind right now. So I don't know if that means to you, but. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it's it's yeah, it's 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 incredible. It's been a very difficult year because of this. So, you what know? are you guys? What are you guys looking to the, do f- going into the future? Do well, well the biggest thing, violent? the biggest thing with like taking taking the time back from this, uh, like having forced to take time back and look and manage the business from the outside, it's actually done been very helpful because there's been such it's been such a shit show of a year with information going back and forth and back and forth and like tempers being crazy and everything i really feel so fortunate that we've been able to manage the business from the outside this year because like i know that all my general managers my managers that are in it like they're in the shit you know like they're dealing with the the fear of having to serve people you know we we instantly transition to it to go only operations our dining rooms are not open we're one of the only restaurants in the entire town that has never reopened our dining rooms and we completely transition our setup to where we do to go operations i do this because of my son mm-hmm. i do this also because i have staff members that i know that their family members are high risk as well mm-hmm. i'm not gonna fucking bring somebody in that can take their mask off and piss in the swimming pool because it's a designated peeing area. <laughs> like, give me a fucking break, man. It just yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So we're very fortunate. Like, it, it really sucks. We've had to cut our staff down. Like, we've had to completely fundamentally alter the way that we do business. But we've done it. And we've done this because, we, you know, like, when you're when, so, you're when you're forced with this situation, you don't have an option. Yeah, like, so this is what you've done. But what are you planning to do going into the future? You have we're going to build better businesses. That's what we're going to do. Okay. We've, had the, we've had the time to be able to sit back and look and say like okay what were we doing what is it that wasn't working over these years like you know how, what is the better way to approach writing a menu um, what's the better way to approach the scheduling like what are the uh, better ways I mean are you going to use technology or are you going to just streamline process like what are you talking oh, about well for me it's pencil and paper like yeah. I'm, I'm OCD and I'm, and I'm old school as hell with my OCD like if you look at anything that I do like I have all of these giant pages of like 
you know, this is what I'm going to do at 1.15 p.m. This is what I'm going to do at 1.18 p.m. At 1.23 <laughs> p.m. I have to do this. And at 1.27 p.m. I have that's to do this. That's a lesson this. right there is like, time blocking. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mo- most definitely, man. Like every everything, like all of the big events that get thrown your way and shit, like you know, you're not prepared for those. Like somebody's like, oh, yeah, I've got a 500-person event. And you're going to cook live on stage. Like, oh, fuck, am I really? <laughs> like, but So you've got to be able to do that. You've got to yeah. be able to time block and organize and like be kind of OCD about mm-hmm. this stuff. Anything um, we have not gotten out yet up to this point that you want to get out before we start to wrap up and go to the speed round um i don't know man uh i'm (sighs) there anybody that's going to come here and talk and like be like hey listen to me like what my words matter um sure it worked for them what what happened to us happened to us and it worked for us and like sure we could have gone different ways and we could have fucked up along the way and we did you know but we're still here doing it Mm -hmm. but anything that I'm sitting here telling people like, man, this is your own life. Like, don't forget at the end of the day that we're on a rock flying through outer space, (laughs) chasing a liquid ball of fire that's hurtling into a void. And my words might be just as significant as the scream of a caterpillar on a beach somewhere, (laughs) you know, like, like, you know, like, so, so I don't, I I don't know, man, like I'm trying to humble myself more and not thinking that I have the answers for other people Mm. because I don't, I don't think that I I have answers for my situation. That's a really good point. And I'm hoping that through the show, my listeners listen to every, everybody's perspective because what works for you won't work for somebody else. straight up and what you know you what does work 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 yeah, work man. work work and, your and, ass off and keep an open mind and get perspective and be a swiss army knife and take no. you know and, and 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 apply all these tools you're, you're learning to whatever situation you have whatever makes sense for you and what and what in what any particular moment in time you're gonna you know? change and change and change and if you're if you're too rigid you're gonna break mm. you have to be able to change and develop and figure out like, like anybody it, like you dude sure anybody that creates like anybody that has the ability to we, we human beings have the ability to create something just because we create something doesn't mean that we know where it's gonna go and becoming a parent is a the, one of the biggest you know swift kicking the asses of reality on that is just because you create something doesn't mean that it's going to be what you intended it to be so you need to be able to bend and move and flow like a river and you know and develop and create and whatever it grows into be is is amazing and beautiful because it got to be anything at all yes man i love that great way to to wrap up uh, the free-flowing part actually before we we do Get into the speed round. Something I ask all my guests, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed since 2012 opening your first place or your, your food truck? The man you are today versus the man you are then. Uh, in, incredibly more uh, self-aware, humbled, um, and empathetic. I love that. Um, That's enough right there. No more needed. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs, and Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. Humor. What is your biggest weakness? Humor. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? 
humor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, gosh, I, I don't have a one word answer for that. Um, you think it can be a sentence? Uh, character. All right. I love that. Uh, what's one of your biggest challenges today? Um, You, you hit me with this speed round, and it's <laughs> so difficult. One of my biggest challenges today is um, let's growth. Yeah, and how are you overcoming that? Um, planning, Hard- hardcore planning. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value. Um, empathy. What empathy. Is, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that you do in the or in the, in the restaurant for your guests that's above and beyond. Uh, it's always got to be right. Uh, if it's not right, throw it in the garbage. Like throw it in the garbage. I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Ooh, uh, <laughs> the power of now, Ram Dass. I love it. Uh, and that is on audio, I'm pretty sure. So get that book on Audible. Uh, if you use audibletrial.com slash unstoppable, you're hooking us up. That's $15 in my pocket. It goes a long way to support the show. Thank you very much. And what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, reflect. Okay. And what is one tool that you've – or not tool. I'm sorry. What is one service you've outsourced? Or I'm talking like a group of people or a person that does something better than you that you've outsourced to. My entire management team. They're all far better than me. <laughs> okay. I'll take it. Uh, what is one technology that you've implemented in your business that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Seven shifts. And what – this is the last question. So it's a big one. Get ready for it. Uh, if you got the news, you're leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants are gone with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would they be? We're on a rock hurtling through outer space. One. We're following a ball of fire that's hurtling into the void. Two. Your life might not be as significant as you think. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think there's a theme in those, but um, I, it, it's really optimism. Yeah, I hate man. to say that because, like, my wife will say, You pessimist. Like, you know, no, that's optimism. Because, dude, how great would it be yeah. if, if this really isn't that important? You know, how great weird. would it be? It, and it, I think we care about what other people think. Yeah. Right? Oh, dude, yeah. And to think the truth, in, along with what you're saying, the truth is nobody gives a fuck about and it. And, dude, you're not going to be successful if you give two shits what other people think. Yeah. And, and if you're starting your business because you saw somebody else. Like, sure, we all we all get inspiration. Yeah. Take inspiration. Yeah. But do you. Yes. Only do you. If you see somebody on Instagram that's inspired you, don't try to be that person. Be you. Take that inspiration and be you because there's only one you. Yes. And the one you is what other people want. Be unapologetically you apologize definitely apologize <laughs> because you <laughs> are going you to are. screw up <laughs> so much <laughs> all right i've loved this conversation we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out mike called you out uh, so who do you respect and admire and if they were on this show tomorrow you'd be like i'm listening to that okay um so let me call out a couple okay. people um so Let's see. Um, here locally, I would like to call out Chase Healy. Okay. Um, Chase Healy is the owner of American Solera. He was the uh, original founder of Prairie Artisan Ales, um, which has just been highly successful beer companies here in town. Chase is 
I, I absolutely love this guy. Um, I'm never cool enough to like feel like I've got something cool to say to Chase. <laughs> uh, but like he's he's awesome, man. I, I totally look up to him locally. That, that's somebody here in Tulsa. As far as like somebody that I uh, I also do have a little bit of a relationship with, but very very obscure. Um, but I would kill to listen to them talk for two hours. Is um, the owner of Onyx Coffee Lab in Arkansas, okay. um, and I believe it's Joe and Andrea Allen. Is I, be- that, I believe um, Little Rock. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, uh, wait, are they Fayetteville? I, man, I need to wait. go to Arkansas. So, so I'll they're they're. Uh, I'm pretty sure their main camp place is right outside of Rogers, um, okay. and they're um, they're yeah downtown Rogers, um, and then their original location is in the place in Arkansas that it's Walmart Town. Walmart owns oh. the town. Um, like, like it's basically like the town exists because Walmart exists. Yeah. Like it's fuck, it's a fucking crazy place. <laughs> it's really, it's really bizarre. Like you go to that place and it's like, it's a small town, but like they've put all of this money into like these places to make it feel like a bigger place. But you're like, what? what? It's, 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 it's a bizarre place, but a Bentonville, Bentonville, Bentonville. Arkansas. Got it. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, John and Andrea Allen. I call them out because I want to listen to them talk. I get so much of your coffee. It's ridiculous. Dude, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to do my best to make that happen. And I'd like to make a return trip back to Tulsa. I was in Oklahoma City. Uh, I think I got a, a few good names. I got Mike. I got yourself. I got Elliot Nelson. Um, I'm sure there's more I need to make an example of. So there's, there's a trip back in my future, that's for sure. And how can we connect with you if we want to reach out to you, uh, ask you a few more questions, or maybe come join your team? Um, well, just find us online, um, lonewolftulsa.com. We'll get you to Lone Wolf and to all of our social media handles and everything there. Uh, you know, we're more active on Instagram than any of the other social medias these days. Um, and then Chicken and the Wolf is chickenandthewolf.com. Beautiful. Um, yep, and you can find us there. Uh, we'll find all of our social medias, all of our emails, all of that stuff. Come on and join the pack. Philip Phillips, thank you so much, my man. Uh, it's been a, a real pleasure speaking with you. And there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, sir. Cheers. We'll cut it there. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest again, Philip Phillips, for joining us. Lots of great lessons came from today's story. Just start where you can have a vision, have a mission, do one thing really well. And uh, and I think that, you know, if he had started and he had done the burger food truck, he probably would have been successful. But when you really do something unique and you stand out, uh, you, you go so much further and you put all that energy into just being the best at something. I really do think that is a win, a winning formula. And that definitely came out in today's story. Also, we got the realities of reality TV. If you're getting into this industry because you want to be a reality TV star, Hey, you know what? Don't let me ruin your dreams, but there's a reality to reality TV. And I think that that came out in today's conversation. Uh, And if you're doing it to get your brand out there, keep in mind that these people might twist and manipulate your brand. You you don't really have control over your brand when you put yourself, when you subject yourself to reality TV. I think that was a really important lesson that came out of today's chat. Uh, So great stuff today. Uh, Really great advice around finding mentors and scaling and uh leaning on the other restaurateurs in your community to grow as a professional. I think that came out of today's conversation. I loved today's chat. Again, special thanks to Chef Philip Phillips. Guys, come hang out 
in the network. I mentioned in the, in the beginning of today's episode a few ways to support the show, but really the best way to support Restaurant Unstoppable is being a part of the community and uh, coming together with like-minded individuals around this mentality of integrity, uh, learning, teaching, communicating, collaborating, and showing up. Be a part of our community. Uh, join other passionate Restaurant Unstoppable listeners as they connect with our guests, ask their questions, and learn for, from our Melting Pot of Mentors. I want you to be a part of it. Um, head over to Restaurant Unstoppable Network, or if you subscribe to our email list, if you go to the website and you, you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll find a way to, to subscribe to the email list. You can get your first 30 days on me when you sign up to the network. All right, guys. That's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.